Hey, I'm Dr. Rob. This is Biblical Genetics. Today, I am in Biloxi, Mississippi. If you're uh, listening on podcast, you can't notice the background, but if you're on video, you're going to say, why are you dressed up and standing in front of a salt marsh? Well, it's Sunday morning, and because I'm in a different time zone of the church where I'm preaching this morning, I got up early. And so I'm all dressed up in my church duds, getting ready to talk about Genesis and the gospel in a talk that I give a lot in different churches around the world. Um, but I've got time, so I said I got to get down and do some filming because I've got something that is just burning my mind. This idea, this thought, and I think it's a new thought. At least I've never read anything that I remember someone writing about this. So if you know of someone who might have predated me, please send me an, a note because I would like to put that in a reference in the article that I've been writing. And it's a question of why are there not really, really old people in the archaeological record? That is, when we dig up uh, bones and things and old graves, how come it doesn't look like this person four, five hundred, six hundred years old when the Bible clearly says that people were living for hundreds of years right after the flood? So we have this discrepancy between the archaeological record and the biblical record. And we have to answer that. And in order to do that, we need to know what we're expecting to see, first of all, because, you know, what would a 300-year-old person look like if they died? Well, I needed to know more about how path pathologists assess age of deceased remains. So I got online, I read a bunch of papers, and I read some really interesting things. It turns out that they look at the tips of the floating ribs. They look at a couple things in the pelvis. They look at the sutures in the, in the skull. They look at um, porosity or infilling of the bones. They look at, um, uh, they look for signs of arthritis. And using all those different measurements, they can kind of guess how old a person might have been when they died. But it's really difficult to assign an accurate age the older the person gets. Because some people get arthritis when they're young. Some people get it when they're old. Some people get break their bones. Some people don't. Some people have um, a cushy job where they don't do a lot of manual labor. Some people work really hard and all those sorts of things. They remodel bones. Age remodels bones. So you can't necessarily just point your finger at a skeleton and say, oh, we know how old that was. For infants, it's easy because infants go through some really uh, very characteristic stages of development. And so you can tell if the, the growth plates are fused, you can tell how large the person was. Males and females is easy because once a person hits puberty, you get sexual dimorphism in humans and most males are very easy to distinguish from most females just because of size and other things like that. Um, actually, it's the pelvic, the shape of the pelvis is the huge thing that tells you if it's, if it's a girl or a boy. But it's not necessarily easy to know the exact age. And if we're talking about really old people, well, how do we know that modern people are a good model? Because if you look at uh, developmental stages of modern humans, yeah, okay, fine. At age 12, they look like this. At age 8, they look like this. At age 3, they look like this. But what if someone who's going to live for hundreds of years didn't develop at the same rate? What if they had a slower development, so someone with a 12-year-old body was really 18 or 20 years old. I don't know, you don't know, nobody knows because we can't go back in time. We can only make educated guesses. Now this does impinge upon something in creationism that came out, I think is the first journal of creation I ever got back in the 90s. A dentist named Jack Coazzo had studied Neanderthal children's skeletons, and that was a Surprised to me. I didn't know we had Neanderthal children skeletons. And when he's looking at these skeletons as a dentist, he's looking at the teeth and he's saying, you know what? 
here's the, the skeleton of a 10-year-old, but they have teeth of a 20-year-old. Now, do they have more tooth wear because they had more grit in their diet? Or was that skeleton really of a 20-year-old who was just at an earlier stage of development because maybe they developed more slowly? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. There's a big argument within our, our group, people arguing pro and con on that subject. But the point is, when you look at someone dead from a long time ago, you can't necessarily know how old they were when they died. There's something else I want to mention, and that is in order to get old, you have to survive long enough to be old. Your potential lifespan isn't the same as your realized lifespan. So a lot of the skeletons we have, they might be for people who could have lived for a lot longer than they actually did. And the ancient world was pretty rough. There's a lot of uh, death through violent means in the archaeological record. I was listening to a debate once at a creation conference between two creationists talking about Neanderthals, and one of them saying they're long-lived, one of them saying they're short-lived. And he cited a particular uh, cemetery or burial ground in the um, Yugoslavia, Croatia sort of area. I don't know exactly where it was. And he said that the average age of death of those skeletons was about 30 years old. Well, it took me a couple years to realize that in that place, most of the skeletons had like traumatic injury things like crushed skulls or, or cut marks in the ribs where they got stabbed. Yeah, they were dying of warfare and, and fighting. They weren't dying of old age. So we have to ask the question, what do we expect to see? We can't necessarily answer that. And we have to say, okay, how long could this person have lived? That's a different question than how long they did live. But we can put those two things aside, and there's something really interesting that comes up now. In fact, I wrote an article called Rapid Decline in Biblical Lifespans, where I took the data of Genesis 11, which people have been talking about for a long time, but I also added all the other data that's not in Genesis 11. It's in Genesis, it's in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Kings. It's scattered all throughout all these different Old Testament scrolls, or books we call them now. And I found all the places that I could see where a person had a known death age who didn't die violently, just died of old age, and that person had a count of generations back to Noah. I ended up with, I think it was 32 people over 32 or 38 generations, all the way up to King Manasseh, who we have a clear genealogy and a death age for him. And when you plot those points on the graph, they all follow the same mathematical relationship as the points just in Genesis 11 which tells me that the numbers weren't made up because no one in the ancient world was graphing exponential decay curves to data. And no one would have thought of making sure that Moses died at the proper time or Manasseh died at the proper time or any of the other people outside Genesis 11 would have fit some mathematical extrapolation. The fact that they fit that data so well is a clear evidence that these are real data and they're not just made up at random. Okay, put that aside too. I'm going to have to, have to do a whole entire um, uh, episode on the decay in biblical lifespans and those charts. But I, today I just want to talk about something else. And this is this model that I've been making. So I wrote this computer program. I started it years ago. I've modified it, several different computer languages. Um, I'm on like my sixth or seventh iteration now. And I can start with any number of people. And I can assign to them um, age of puberty, um, age of menopause, how far apart children are, um, what the death rate is. In fact, I'm applying a statistical table of modern death rates. So the death rate of, of not modern, modern, 
but modern death rates in like third world countries. So the death rate of one year olds and zero year olds is really high and it goes down and at the age of about 20 and 30 it starts increasing again until the death rate of 80 year olds is very high. But you can't apply that to people who are going to live for hundreds of years because if you test for them, you know, maybe some 10% of them are going to die every year in some age category. Well, if you test them every single year, they're not going to last for 200 years. They're going to be dead. So I had to figure out a way to space out these tests. And what I did was I took their potential lifespan and I said, okay, my if the maximum lifespan of people today um, in my model is 85 years. After 85 years, they just die. Not many people live that long anyway, but those who do, they just, they just poof and they're, they're erased from my data. But if someone is going to live for 800 years, they only get 85 tests. Some lives for 200 years, they only get 85 tests. And it doesn't mean they're gonna live for 200 years, but it means that they're gonna get tested every so often, so the, the equal number of possible tests. You know, this is not the quietest place to film. There's cars driving by and kids running around and boats zipping by on the bay and there's cars driving over the very noisy drawbridge there, but it's fun anyway. This reminds me so much of where I grew up in New York, but this is Mississippi instead. Now in my model, I can do really interesting things. I can make population pyramids. So if I freeze the model at a thousand years out, I can see this beautiful pyramid with a whole bunch of really young people and very few very old people. And that's the first clue of where I'm going here. The reason that the archeological record is dominated by people who died young is that the population was dominated by people who were young. And as death happens, more young people are dying than old people. First clue. But I can also do things like graph the number of generations people are removed from Noah. And if I freeze that at a thousand years, I see some people are only 15 generations removed from Noah. They're going to live a little bit longer than my 85 year cap, but not much longer. And there's some people that are 33 generations removed. They're going to live only 85 years. Now I had to have a maximum there or a minimum there because if I just follow that graph to infinity, it's gonna approach zero and you can't have people living zero years. So I had to have some way of just, just stopping it and I just, I just let it decrease to 85 and I flatlined it there. I can also graph actual lifespan versus potential lifespan. And when I do that, I can see that the, the initial people who should have lived for 600 something years, they lived on average about 400 years of some model runs. Okay, I'll take that. that that's just fine with me. That's a, still a pretty good approximation for long-lived people. But then after that, the next generation, they should have lived for 300 something years, but a lot of them died young. Some of them lived for long and some of them didn't. Ah, I guess starting to get a spread there. And as it goes on and on and on, it, it starts approximating that population pyramid pretty quickly. Within two or 300 years, most everyone is dying at a young age. In fact, after a thousand years, there's about 3.3 million people born into my population and 99% of them die before age 90. In fact, only one out of 100,000 have made it to the age of 300. Now again, this is pointing at the solution to the, the problem. Why are there no old people or very few old people or little evidence of old people in the archeological record? It's because maybe we're not expecting a lot of old people. Maybe we're searching for needles in haystacks. I can also take uh, slices through my population model at time and look at the, the age spectrum of the people. And sure, 100 years after the flood, we got Shem, Ham, and Japheth, their three wives. They're now about 200 years old. I'm guessing on average here, we don't exactly know, but about 200 years old. And you can see that we have these six people that are really old and a whole bunch of people that are really young. But then 100 years later, 
the old people are a very small fraction of the population. And percentage-wise, they're being hidden. 300 years after the flood, um, it's, it would be almost impossible to find someone who's really, really, really old because almost everyone is young. I also realized I could use a very stylized genealogy to describe this. So I drew a graph of a male-only lineage where a man at every time increment has a son, and then maybe 30 years and then when he's 30 years old. And that son has a son when he's 30. And that son has a son when he's 30. And that son has a son when he's 30. And if that happens for six generations in a row, that first man is going to have six sons. That firstborn son, after six of these cycles, is going to have 31 descendants. The second born son's only gonna have 15. The third born son's only gonna have seven. The fourth born's gonna have three. The fifth born's gonna have one. And that last born son is just born at the end of the run and he's not gonna have any descendants. So we see older children have more descendants over time. Older children means shorter generation times means more generations in a certain time window. If the lifespan of the people after the flood is somehow linked to the number of generations they are removed from Noah, which the chart certainly indicates, then over time, the population will be dominated by people with the most number of possible generations removed from Noah. So the lifespans should just drop. They're going to get as short as possible, as quick as possible, because the population will be dominated by people who are the oldest child of the oldest child of the oldest child of the oldest child. There'll be a few youngest children of youngest children of youngest children, but they will be aberrations. And we can see a very interesting illustration of this in the scripture itself. When Jacob goes to meet Pharaoh, Pharaoh asks him one question. Now, Jacob's 130 years old at this point, and Pharaoh just says, how old are you? That's the only words exchanged between Pharaoh to Jacob. Just one question. How old are you? Because he's looking at this guy saying, this, is, this can't be true. No one can be as old as you. Because from the Pharaoh's experience, most kings are the oldest son of an 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 oldest son. And Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, had come to Egypt maybe 200 years prior. So two generations in Jacob's family was possibly 10 generations in Pharaoh's family. This is like, this is crazy. For him, it makes no sense. But statistically, when you have really old people fathering children later on in life, and if that lifespan has anything to do with the number of generations removed from Noah, you're going to get occasionally a very rare, really old person in your population. And Pharaoh, when he met that person, was surprised. So that is the answer to the riddle of why we don't find a lot of really old people in the archaeological record. They're hard to find. Two, not all of them lived as long as they could have lived. And three, we don't necessarily know what we're looking at. But the hard to find, the needles and haystack idea, that is the answer. I love that answer, and I think that's something we can take home. There's not a giant conflict between what archaeology says and what scripture says. Because using a very simple scriptural model, very quickly, people are going to start having normal lifespans. In fact, the population will be dominated by people with normal, short lifespans. And only a very vanishingly few people will have exceptional lifespans. And that's it. 
You can look forward to my paper and journal creation. If it gets accepted, I'm assuming it's going to get accepted. I've got it written. I'm about to send it in, but we'll see. I probably shouldn't do these videos like my last video also did on a paper that I hadn't um, gotten accepted yet. That's kind of risky, but I'm still excited about this. I just want to share with you something I've been working on for years and this particular idea for well over a month, writing computer models, analyzing data, trying to conceptualize how to describe this and how to show this in graphical format. Now, if you're listening on podcast, you didn't see any of the graphs that just got shown on screen. So go to the show notes on biblicalgenetics.com, look up this episode, and there'll be a link to the paper when it comes out. I'll probably, before that, I might have a little uh, thumbnails of the graphs themselves in the show notes. If I can manage to do that, I think I can do that. Anyway, that's all for now. I have to jet. If I don't leave right about now, I'm going to be late for church. And since I'm the speaker, I can't be late. You all have a wonderful day. God bless you. Be strong. Dig into the Bible. Learn something you didn't know yesterday. Exalt in the word of God because it is true. It is good. And it is beneficial to study. By the way, biblical genetics is supported by people like you. Thank you all for your contributions on patreon.com and on uh, buymeacoffee.com. If you'd like to help, there'll be links in the show notes also.